This is CliffCentral.com. looks for the drop. Has he got it? Yes, it's over. Stransky's drop number two in the match, and South Africa in the lead, 15 points to 12. Welcome to it, Rugby Central. It's what everyone in this country is talking about right now, and a good thing too. I think it's been quite a tough year for all of South Africa with all the negativity. When you think of politics, you think of our various sporting codes not doing so well. But rugby is our new start, our new start for great positivity, and just four days away now. So Rugby Central, special show this one, just coming into the preview, because this is the week where it all happens. Friday will be our first match, England versus Fiji. And then from there, we have got, well, up until right at the end of October will be the end where we crown the champions. Champions, of course, probably being New Zealand. But that's just my initial speculation. The whole point of Rugby Central is to get you nothing but the best in the World Cup preview this week. So when Friday comes around, you know absolutely everything. It's a show that's going to involve special guests because I can't run this by myself. I do love the rugby. Of course, on the Gareth Cliff Morning Show, I do the sport and I cover everything from his perspective. But when it comes to a tournament this big, you need some real big hitting, intelligent, insightful, and very enthusiastic people. We've got Derek Alberts. He's going to be talking about the South African perspective of the World Cup looking ahead. Derek, of course, is a presenter on Supersport. He has interviewed pretty much everyone in the business. And uh, he's now got into the world of uh, rugby commentary as well, which is a very difficult thing. And uh, Derek's really applied himself there. So gone on the weekends where he's just watching on the couch with his mates. He's actually calling the games now in studio. Along with him is Kobani Bobo. He, of course, also is a commentator on Supersports and a general rugby pundit. He, of course, has worn the green and gold Springbok jersey. So if it was a more insightful guy, well, I wish I could have found him. Kobani also coaches rugby. And he's very much our man on the more technical side of things. So we're going to touch on the chances of the Northern Hemisphere teams with him. Gabani, there's no real uh, end to his knowledge. And uh, our third guest today is going to be Johnny King. Now, Johnny King, I don't think there's a single person in the world who has written more words about the All Blacks than Johnny King. He has been a prolific uh, sports writer and a friend of mine uh, for about five years now. I think when I first started on Twitter... Johnny and I used to have some pretty, well, I wouldn't say heated discussions, but of course, he is the all-black enemy, and of course, I am a firm Springbok supporter. Now, I went to the World Cup in 2011 in New Zealand, and I met up with Johnny. We watched a game together, and without doubt, the most passionate rugby fan you'll ever come across. So we've got his insights and his pearls of wisdom coming in about sort of five or ten minutes. But I just first want to intro what I think is going to be the most exciting World Cup that we've had to date. If you look back, of course, 1987 when it started, South Africa unfortunately weren't there. They weren't there for the first two World Cups. It was very much a new thing. World Cups had been commonplace in various sports. But in rugby, it went all the way to 1987 before they kicked it off. They kicked it off in New Zealand. And New Zealand won that one. From there, they've always been maybe two or three favorites. Uh, well, it's essentially just been New Zealand and a couple of other teams that might have done it. But I think for the first time in a hell of a long time, we've got a prospect where there are essentially six teams that could win it. Of course, today we're going to tell you exactly why there are six teams and who they are and what they possess. But I think when it comes down to the Northern Hemisphere playing fields as well, slightly heavier underfoot, it does bring the teams a little bit closer together and, of course, brings the kicking game to the fore. Now, a kicking game is something that every single team in the world can have. It's not the hardest thing to master. The running game and how you prize open the defense is much more difficult. And that is why I think New Zealand has been a cut above for so long now because they're the one team that's always evolved with ball in hand. But here we go. 
it's been played in England, of course, that brings England into it. Wales and Ireland, they're, they're playing those conditions year in, year out. Ireland in particular, Six Nations champions. Wales have been on the up and up. So there's three teams straight away. Then you've got New Zealand. The favorites going to every single thing. I mean, if they went into a bowls competition, if they went into a Yuxke competition, if they went into you name it, these guys are just so good. They've got such an amazing uh, winning spirit around them. They've got an amazing sense that no matter what the challenge is, they have all the tools to take on. So they obviously then make up the fourth team. Then we've got Australia. They've been pretty good this year. They beat the All Blacks recently. And, of course, they've beaten us. They did pretty well in Argentina and very much a resurgent team. New coach, Michael Checker. This has been about a year in the job now. And he's definitely showing the team is on the up and up. And, of course, the Springboks. Say what you want about them. There is still a chance that they could win this. They won the World Cup the last time it was in this part of the world. So there's legitimately six teams. You throw that together and who knows? Well, Argentina, if they get a really, really good scrum platform throughout, they're not, they slot their goals and they get a good couple of ref calls. It could even be seven teams. I won't be too sentimental and say there's eight teams with the French because I think they really have fallen off the, the wagon of late. But still, as you can see, what an exciting time to be in, in World Cup rugby. And what an exciting time to be a rugby fan. So before we get into our guests, I just want to kind of open it up with the pools. Now, as you know, in all the World Cups, teams get put into these pools. And from there, the top two teams progress. And then we go into the knockout stages. So, of course, with it being four pools five teams in each that if you use your basic maths will get you 20 teams of course we spoke about six favorites that leaves 14 other teams who are in the mix now obviously rugby wants to evolve and you know spread its web so to speak and you look at cricket you look at football football in particular has so many different teams coming to these world cups so it's great to see the likes of romania canada georgia namibia uh, USA, the emerging nation of Japan, Fiji, Uruguay, the South Sea Islands, Tonga, Samoa, they're all going to be there, there and about. And this for them is the World Cup final. Just getting into this tournament alone is the pinnacle for them. And you'll see so much spirit. And it just makes the, it makes the event what it is, having these sort of minnows there. Whether they're going to challenge the big guns, well, thing is, France will always fluff something along the line. Who knows what um, Japan or Samoa could do as well. And then, well, Fiji, I don't think they're terrible. I think there's a lot of talent there. Of course, they've proven themselves in the seventh circuit for so long. But let's just go through the pools quickly before we get to our chat with Johnny about the All Blacks. Pool A, there's always a pool of death, no matter which sport or no matter which tournament you're looking at. And Pool A definitely is it. Australia, England, and Wales. Those are your three big favorites for that one. Of course, only two teams can go through. So Australia, England, Wales, and then you've also got Fiji and you've got Uruguay. Now, Fiji, well, look, I wouldn't be surprised if they can upset one of those big three teams. And if it does, then we definitely have a very, very tight finish. Wales, they were looking so good until they had the injuries that have plagued their last uh, sort of month or so. And they'll all be in the backs as well. And of course, World Cups are essentially won from the boot a lot of the time. So as good as your forward platform may be, you need someone to convert that pressure into points. So that's pool A. If I were to hazard a guess at that one, I would say Australia, England, I think Wales would be very unlucky. And uh, even though they have been progressing very well the last sort of 18 months, I don't think they're going to make it through in that one. Pool B, this is the pool that all South Africans will be interested in uh, initially. That, of course, is South Africa, Samoa, Japan, Scotland, and USA. USA, very much the, well, I'd say the, the minnows in that one, although they are capable of, of showing. Again, they're progressing through the teams. If you look... Um, Look at the college level. A lot more colleges are offering the game in the USA at the moment, and they definitely are doing better result-wise. Scotland, 
they unfortunately always just are in that second tier. Nothing really coming up from them. They did push a couple of teams quite close in the sort of pre-match or sort of pre-tournament warm-ups. Japan, they of course host the next World Cup taking place in 2019. All things provided with their stadiums, of course. They, of course, have that very high money league where they get a lot of players from the Southern Hemisphere to go play with them. But as a national team, still not quite there. And then you've got Samoa. So for my money, I think Samoa will join South Africa on that one. Always, why do we always get these guys in the pool? You gotta feel for the box, actually. When they get to the quarterfinal stages, they must be so battered and bruised because we always get Samoa and or another South Sea Island team. And these guys are very much all about the collision, all about the physicality. Pool C, this is where we see favorites New Zealand. They join up with Argentina. And then we've got Tonga, Georgia, and Namibia making up the numbers in that one. And, uh, yeah, I don't mean to sound uh, disparaging towards those teams, but they are very much making up the numbers. New Zealand and Argentina both play in the rugby championship, of course. Argentina, many of their players are based in Europe in a league situation. So that will be, well, very much just those two teams going through. Then in Pool D, another kind of, well, I'd say if there was going to be a second group of death, it's this one, because it involves Italy, France, and Ireland. Now, Ireland definitely should be the favorites to take that one. But then Italy and France, well, with France's decline and Italy's progression up, uh, recently in the last sort of two years, you would think that's a very, very tight match and it's actually the first match those two teams will play in Pool D. So a lot could hinge on that opening fixture. Canada and Romania, well, you would guess that they'll just make up the numbers there. So if we had to get really hypothetical straight off the bat, because this is what we all would look forward to here, especially if you're traveling to England and you're taking on the many, many rands to the pound equation, if South Africa were to win all their games, and this is what we're all going to ask the question of, where would they go? Okay, they would basically go from Pool B, right? They'll be number one. They would then play the second team in Pool A. Now, to my reckoning, that would be England. So it looks like we could have a quarterfinal on that form, of course, if Australia win Pool A. Hypothetically speaking, we'll play England, and that'll be in the quarterfinals. On top of that one, you would get C1, which is New Zealand. They'll play against D2. Now, let's just say France do hold their nerve and manage to get through the pools. New Zealand, France in the quarterfinals. It would be a very exciting one because France, if they have one thing going for them, people love to attach the New Zealand bogey side to them. Whether that's true nowadays, I don't exactly know. Then on the other side, we've got D1, which will be Ireland, which will take on the runner-up of New Zealand's pool, which will be Argentina. Again, at Fort a really, really tough contest there up front because, again, it's that forward pack dominance that Argentina can throw into the match there. But that would be in a hypothetical quarterfinal number three, Ireland versus Argentina, which would then leave us with Australia versus whoever finishes second in Pool B, our pool, which I reckon will be Samoa. All things going to form again. And saying that SA wins that one, then they are lining up for a New Zealand semi-final because you would definitely expect New Zealand to win against France. On the other side of the coin there, you would expect Argentina probably to fall away against Ireland. That sets up a semi-final between Ireland and Australia. So it's not implausible to think SA versus New Zealand the one semi, Ireland versus Australia in the next, which would then set up, well, we can definitely try we can definitely try to say that SA would win that one. I'm doubting it though. It'd probably be a New Zealand Australia final and that would be another tight contest with New Zealand winning it. That is my prediction of how this would work. And this is definitely something that we all need to kind of um look into, hypothetically speaking. Duncan, almost ready? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring Johnny King. Now, Johnny King, as I've said, he's probably the most prolific of all New Zealand rugby writers. This is a guy who I don't entirely sure will know when he sleeps, but I know he does because he's going to sound quite fresh on the other side of this line. 
Johnny has been through, well, I think a few heartaches as an All Black supporter. There's no doubt about it. If you watch the All Blacks throughout, winning 87, 91, they got dismantled by Australia in the court in the, in the semis when David Campisi suddenly became an absolute colossus. 95, they were hard done by, well, contaminated water, some say. There's the Susie bug. They lost in the final to Joel Stransky drop goal. Then, 1999, they came up against just a simply sublime French side. 2003, they lost to the Aussies in the semi-final there. 2007, they lost to the French. So there were favorites going into all of those, but just losing, well, unexpectedly. But they managed to get it together 2011. Johnny, that your finest rugby moment of all time? Oh, Ben, you just put me through the ringer there, going through each World Cup. Favorites each time. And it's been a little bit, a little bit like being uh, the skinny kid at fat camp, as John Stewart has said. Your favorites for a World Cup, and then it all turned to the proverbial custard. Was it my highlight? Has it been my highlight? I mean, 87 was pretty special, but being more intimately involved and being a bit older, a little bit older, and attending all the, the matches, yeah, that was uh, just a sporting moment of euphoria, maybe even more relief. I think after that final, and you were there, and you, know, you want to celebrate, but it's almost like I'm just too worn out. It was it was hard work. The French were hard work, but you know, in terms of New Zealand, it was what we needed to uh, get that hunking gorilla off our back. But again, two World Cups at home, one two. It's away from home, and we've been there before. So we approach it with cautious optimism, Benjamin, and uh, we're looking forward to what will unfold in the, the coming six weeks. Well, Johnny, I had to kind of prep you in there because I know that you've got about a 1,001 things to say about the All Blacks. So I'm sorry I put you through the ringer by going through the history. But now for me, what made that 2011 so special wasn't just the fact that it was a relief. I think it was showing that lessons were learned. And there's no doubt about it. If you were to read Richie McCaw's book, which I still think is hands down the greatest rugby book ever, ever penned. Now, there was so much heartache from 2003 on the back of the John Mitchell era where that team was just, they were just dispatching teams by 30 points the whole year running into that World Cup. But when it went to, yeah, exactly. Sorry. But when it went to, try to forget about that one. But then when you got to, when you, when you got to 2007, you know, there was the Ford pass from the French. There was uh, the ref Tintin. What's his name? Stuart Barnes. You know, he, he, uh, yes. Yeah, he, he had that moment. And then 2011 was just basically saying, okay, we've learned from all these mistakes. It wasn't the All Blacks' best performance when they really got into it. I mean, a very narrow 8-7 win in the end. But there was a lot of relief and just showing this team can adapt. And I think the strongest thing about the All Black team that's been for so long now is that they're never out. I think with so many times when you watch the Springboks, if you kind of just trump them at an early stage, they don't have an answer. If you look at the All Blacks and what's made them so resilient over the years, that they find a way of winning. I think the Irish can attest to this, the English definitely, as can the Aussies and us. Even Argentina as well. There's been times where this team just gets out of jail over and over and over. Just to go opening question to you going into this world cup as favorites what is different this time around to the previous times now that the monkey is essentially off the back well i think coming off a victory i mean richie mccall's been around for a number of world cups dan carter's been around for a number of world cups you know what we didn't do in 2007 what we've done in every other world cup we didn't get rid of the coaches so they're able to learn from their failures they're able to learn from those experiences and put those into practice 
You know, I've just recently interviewed uh, Pity Weeper, a long conversation about 2011, and you know he talks about the significant mental gains in the All Blacks, and that was the difference. And that when they were in tough situations, they were just confident because they'd gone through all the scenarios, they were prepared, and even as, a, as fans and, and commentators, we look on and we go through the you know the emotion, they they were ready and they were led by someone who walked his talk. I mean, he's recently talked about you know what they had and that and that what you need first of all in the World Cup. And he said absolute passion, you know, the passion to be able to pre- be prepared to walk over broken glass. And think, oh, that's nice, Richie. But then you think to 2011, and the man's got a broken foot in a couple of places for a good part of the tournament. He understands what is required, you know, in the knockouts especially. And the knockouts are tough for us. I'm t- talking to Richard Turner, who's a commentator in New Zealand, and the knockouts make him nervous. And that's something significant. It's different for – it doesn't work so well with our psyche, I think, as New Zealanders. It works well, I think, with for, for, South, for South Africans, excuse me, and works well for the French and maybe the, the uh, Argentinians are able to rise for those occasions. But uh, it doesn't work so well for us. So I think so, sorry, Johnny, just, just to cut you in there, uh, yeah, as I, I thought I'd start hypothetically seeing how this World Cup would go, and you essentially do have the French in the quarterfinal. Just talk about that world, that knockout pressure straight off the bat. Well, the French are my smoky side, but not smoky to win it, but smoky to do enough damage, and it would not surprise me oh. if they knock off Ireland. But that clash is really interesting. Because as you pointed out, that clash is before the quarterfinal. The All Blacks last match is against Tonga. And it's not a tough pull, and you'll have Ireland or France who will, you know, bash or get henna out of each other, and then the loser will likely get the All Blacks, and the All Blacks will, you know, be ready and prepared and will do all the various things. 2007 will help them, and but it's still going to be, it could be their toughest match of the Rugby World Cup. Okay. Uh, that final. Well, Johnny, I and so... I don't know how, how much you've been looking into the South African news. I mean, every now and again, you'll get some sort of howling headline down there, I'm sure. But Hanika Mayer said something that would either be seen as interesting, stupid, or just silly. He said that every team going to the World Cup kind of has the same game plan. Now, I, I straight away thought that was absolute bollocks. But how do you think like the game plan is going to look just off the bat for, for a team that has been so great ball in hand? But then again, as you say get quite nervous in the knockout stages. Would that implement game plan change at all? Uh, idealistically, no. What's been quite interesting, and the All Blacks have talked about it. I need to give, give a little bit of background here if I've got the time. Uh, Hanson's talked about you know, not owning the Rugby World Cup. We've got to go and win it. And So there's been a mindset, and McCaw talked about it as well. And I think it's come about in these selections. I mean, you've, obviously New Zealand rugby's got a lot of depth, but two of the three... Out of the out of the uh, two out of the back three, excuse me, of the 2011 Rugby World Cup, Israel Dag and Corey Jane, you know they haven't been picked. Yeah, I mean Corey Jane's coming back from injury. Israel Dag's been around. So what they've and they've chosen guys like Naholo, Waisaki Naholo, and Nehemu Naskari. You know, happy feet, the guy who can you know can can step a time zone. And I think that is their mindset. There is the desire or the belief, and this tends to come out in a lot of World Cups, and it can be a downfall where we want to actually try and create and try and attack. Of course, when it gets to the knockouts, it gets ugly. Teams are at the emotional height. Their intensity is, you know, 
peaking and it's redlining. And so defenses close up, referees become more important, penalties flow. So whether or not it can translate into reality, I mean, that's right on the outside. In terms of the All Blacks core, you know, I think that that's, that's pretty strong and it's been around for a long time. Their full pack, you know, you, you, you know what you're going to get. If Dan Carter, if Dan Carter stays healthy, you know, in light of his history, um, the guy is as motivated as you can get to uh, have a successful World Cup. I mean, that's missing from his CV. Yes, he was around 2011. He said to me that it was it was both, you know, one of the greatest moments, but also one of the most heartbreaking. You know, sure. he had that paradox of being on the dais at the end, but not playing in the matches that counted. So, I think the All Blacks will be smart. There won't be there won't be the dirty drop goal like there was in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there'll be much more pragmatism, and you've got a side that is really experienced. It's the most experienced uh, All Black uh, squad going to a World Cup, I believe. And so I think that they will uh, be prepared to navigate according to what is happening on the field, you know, at a, at a given time uh, versus a given audience. This year they've added um, Wayne Smith, who was part of the, the coaching setup just for this year, and his, his yep. focus has been on defence. And I don't, I don't think we've seen everything from the All Blacks. There was that one match, I don't know if you saw, versus Los Pumas in Christchurch, and their defence was more like offence. And we didn't really see it in the other matches. Now, I don't know if that was just a, a moment or that was, we're going to put this out there now, and then in the World Cup, we're going to really make this a point of emphasis and we play, and we're going to look at, you know, smash the other sides and be really, really aggressive in contact and take that to the next level. So we'll see. We'll see. I, all you can say is that they're going to be prepared. Yeah. I mean, hence over there, people were saying, oh, he's relaxed. He goes, well, you tend to be anxious when, you, when you're not ready and when you don't know about something. So he says, we know about it. We've looked at these. We're prepared. But you can be prepared, and then 80 minutes happens. Conditions are not suitable. A referee makes a mistake. Sure. And so it can all go to custard. Okay, well, Johnny, we've unfortunately run out of time on this feature, but I think you just confirmed what I was thinking. Here's a team that's not just prepared. They know all the situations. Again, you, I mean, from our perspective here at Cliff Central, you always tie back to what's the South African sort of reference here is that I don't think we're going to be as prepared. I don't think we've got the settled units and also the depth in player. But I do want to ask you one more question before you go. What is going to happen with Sonny Bill Williams? How is he going to be put into that? Because I still believe... Uh, Ma Nani, number the best number 12 I think in the last sort of five years internationally and I don't see him getting moved out of that so where would you place Sonny Bill? It's a very interesting question um, and because you, you're probably thinking about the bench but the midfield option has been Malachi Fikitaro the outside back option and he has been sure. really effective coming on remember scoring a winning try um, previously previous year and the rugby championship uh, yeah, Manonu has been absolute money in terms of his work, in terms of his combination inside and outside. So what do you do with Sonny Williams? Well, he, they, they say he's been injured, so we haven't seen his best. I haven't seen him play up to his uh, potential uh, for, you know, previous to when he went back to the NRL. Mm. So I think he'll get an option. He will get an option because the first two games have four days apart. They'll play him likely in the second match. Uh, that won't necessarily mean much because of the opposition, but I think they will put him on the bench because of his game-breaking ability and his X-factor ability, the fact that he does like to rise for the occasion. And if he is fit, the one thing about the All Black side, the one thing that 
is one of their strengths is that you can hold them for 60, but when they unleash that bench, they can take it up a level. And what you want from the bench is to provide different options. And going through a side is going to be so important for every side. Going around, it's, you know, and as the conditions are likely to get worse as that gets into October, assuming the All Blacks are around at that time, then he can provide that option. And I think Hanson's pretty open to how they will use him. But unless something amazing and unprecedented happens, then um, he's not going to be moving Ma Nonu out of 12. Okay. And maybe there'll be injuries. There's potential there for there to be injuries on the wing. And, and Sonny Bull played one match on the wing versus Japan in the 2011 World Cup. And he's had enough time in the game where, you know, if, the, if it's needs be, then he may be unleashed and he may beast. And uh, so, you know, the jury's out in terms of what will happen with Sonny Bill Williams, but I think that, you know, he is a man who we're looking at this occasion to communicate about his gifts and want to say to the world, here am I, play me. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see. It'll be it'll be an interesting interesting subplot to see because he doesn't always handle that. There was talk around 2011 that he was frustrated at being not being – Selected and you know some of his support staff, you know, talking about well maybe you should you know move on and things like that. Sure. So it will be interesting. Sure. He's pretty tight, pretty tight with the boys. So yeah, I think he'll, he'll we won't see anything like that. But you know, into the playoffs and in the knockouts, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, to see him on the bench. You know, in that quarterfinal versus France, um, we had a guy uh, who was suspended, Sione Loaki. If you remember Loaki, he's a big, powerful. Tongan loose forward and very hard to take guys, down. Are you, guys, are you guys admitting the, the, the original origin of your players now? <laughs> what was that? Are you guys admitting the original origin of your players now? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Of course we're not. Um, Johnny, thanks so much. We're going to have to cut the you off The Samoan players and the Tongan players who mostly come from New Zealand. We're fine with that. <laughs> um, so he, um, he, and he was suspended and wasn't picked, but he could have been picked in the end because that was squashed. Sure. And you know, they missed him in that quarterfinal, the ability. And, and Sonny Bill, in one sense, has that same shape and ability to, to do things that other players can't just because of him. I mean, you don't really grasp how big he is until you see him live. He's just an immense individual. And if he's confident and injury-free, then his physical gift should rise. Okay. Johnny, thank you so much. Where can we find you on Twitter so we can catch you throughout the tournament? You can find me. At I am Johnny King. One word, and uh, yes, we will be tweeting throughout. And uh, we're putting out an, uh, an e-book. We're calling it a reading companion. The plan is for Wednesday. We've got a lot of interviews with ex-internationals. Okay. And uh, with some media people as well, writing pieces, and of course, myself. So it's going to be uh, very much about words, which if you know me, that's probably not a surprise. Uh, but uh, yeah, pretty excited about passing on, um, you know, some words from around the world, some places out of or places like Romania sure. and uh, Georgia and so forth. So stay tuned. I, I am Johnny King and all will be revealed. Cool. Johnny, thanks so much for your time. That is Johnny, J-O-N-N-Y. There's no H's in there. I am Johnny King on Twitter and look out for the rest of his rugby releases. Johnny, as I said, is the most enthusiastic guy out of New Zealand. I think he basically matches all 31 players who are there in a black jersey. Thanks, Johnny. Catch you back soon. Okay, we're going to just uh, get Derek Alberts on the line now. Derek, of course, has been in and around this African camp for quite a while now. And he is another commentator in the Supersport Rugby fold. So we can go straight to him now. I told you Johnny could talk. I told you he was passionate. <laughs> Derek, can you hear us? 
Yeah, I can perfectly. How are you, Benjamin? Derek, um, very, very good. Thank you. But um, You are currently at Ellis Park, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I actually just left Ellis Park. I had a meeting with Rudolf Strali. Uh, I chatted to him regarding uh, yeah, the upcoming tournament and also his memories from 1995. It was actually uh, a brilliant setup because we, we sat just outside the President's Suite overlooking the hallowed turf of the Field of Dreams. And uh, he's under the impression that the current box line definitely have what it takes to, to go all the way. So that's good news coming okay. from a former player and coach. Okay, well, I'm glad you opened with that because the reason I wanted to chat to you because I think if it was anybody who had a, a greater grip on the on the on the SA squad and what's been happening it would definitely be you. So just to kind of go through a couple of points, we've had a pretty terrible year. There's no doubt about that. We can sugarcoat as much as we want and say we're trying combinations. We've had some injury worries. Result wise, we've really let it slip. What, to one positive, I can I can get off the bat here. I'm sorry if I'm giving you a lot of information. I've just had Johnny King, so um, I'm, I'm, my mind's buzzing as it is. Our front row no looks pretty good. From there, the question is, what do we do with Victor? Then the question is, how ready is our loose trio? From there, halfbacks unsettled, who knows what to do with Jean? And is the back three capable of fireworks? These are the points that I think many people around South Africa are kind of feeling right now. So just to start with you, the whole idea of the preparation going into this tournament how detrimental is it that the fact that we haven't really got much in the way of confidence? Yeah, I don't think the results necessarily have a big impact on what happens in the World Cup. Actually, I was quite outspoken about it uh, when we lost our second match uh, of the Rugby Championship. And I said, you know, everyone was up in arms. And I said, you know, it really doesn't matter in a World Cup year what happens outside of a World Cup. Everyone forgets it. No one cares. A Rugby Championship title is, is meaningless. Um, especially when it's so watered down to to uh, allow for the World Cup to take place. Well, 2007, and, again, a prime example when Jake... It, 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 exactly. The, yeah. the only difference though that was was the fact that Jake went over there with a completely experimental squad. So if we lost, it was like, oh, well, I mean, look at the team that we, we went over there with. I mean, Johan Muller was our captain. Um, whereas if we won, we would have thought, well, bonus. I mean, that's just uh, a, a nice little uh, add addition to, to what we expect to come World Cup time. But... This time around, it was a little, little bit more scary because Heineke did pretty much choose his first-choice squad, barring injuries, and we got beaten all along. So that proved out to be a problem. But um, I really don't think we should read too much into it. The combination side of things is a bit of a problem um, because you mentioned the back three, and one of my concerns is, and I take nothing away from the two players, I think they're really, really good, but J.P. Peterson and Brian and Banner on our wings are the same two wingers we had eight years ago. Now, the first thing to go as a player, as you get older, is your speed. And wingers are meant to be as quick as lightning. They're well, the exactly. They're the fastest guys in the park. Yeah. And we're using the same two wingers, or probably. I mean, we haven't selected the starting 15 yet, but I can't see Enigga going any other way. So you'd have J.P. Peterson, Brian Abana, the same two wingers starting that started eight years ago. Now, I don't think you can go back in, in, in the history books and see any World Cup side that, that's done that. Two wingers have had such longevity. But, but that said, I mean, they are two very good players. But the big concern, Ben, and you mentioned it, the injuries, because the guys are going into this tournament, a lot of the big names, the veterans, are underdone in terms of preparation. They've had very little time on the park. And, I mean, you know, you've been there. You can play as much as you want, or you can train as much as you want, hours and hours and hours. But 
once you actually get into a rugby match, it's a completely different ball game. Um, and, and that series is a concern. Exactly, Derek. I think I'm glad you brought that particular point up because looking at the loose forwards and the abrasive nature of the Bok match or the Bok game plan, you can train and you can train and you can do weights and take on a, a contact bag. But if you're Dwayne Vermeulen and just come back from a serious neck injury and you've got to clean out two guys over the ball and you're doing this with the, the, the area that just has come back from injury, mentally, you can't expect the guy to fly in there. It's going to be very, very tough. No, without a doubt, especially with that injury. You mentioned the neck. I mean, uh, you, you can't get more serious than that. But another player who, who worries me probably even more, Dwayne Vermeulen, before the injury, he was playing nonstop rugby. And I actually think it was a bit of a blessing in disguise that he was given a break because he sure. played all the time. Vim Albert is the complete opposite. He hasn't been playing. And, you know, he's been given these cameos at the Sharks and with the box where he'd come on and play a couple of minutes and then suddenly he'd go off again. They said, no, you know, he picked up another injury. I mean, he, if you look at the last two or three years, he's played very, very little rugby. But it's almost taken for granted that, you know, he would be a certain a certainty to, to be in that fight. I mean, when he has played for the box, he's played brilliantly and likewise for the Sharks. But when has that been? I mean, we go back two, three years ago where he was a consistent member of that team. Marcel Katsia was taking his place most of the time. And, I mean, Marcel Kutsia, to me, um, granted, he's also got a, a bit of an injury concern as well. We don't quite know how bad it is. I, I spoke to John Smith uh, just before the squad was, was getting announced. And, you know, I got wind of the fact that Marcel might not make it. And, and I asked John, you know, how is he? And, and John said, look, I actually really don't know because he's been with the box for so long. I actually haven't had a chance to assess it. But I think Marcel Kutsia is a big, big casualty from that side. You've got Willem Alberts, who, who's hardly played. As you mentioned, Dwayne Vermeulen going in there on the back of a horrific neck injury. And Skalkberger, too, who, who's managed to fight his way back into the team, but also he had a, a long spell on the sideline. But um, I'm glad he's there. There's no question. I, I'd, yeah. I'd have him no matter what. Well, but, uh, yeah, it really is a concern. Well, it is a concern, just staying with Alberts there for a second, in that um, he's quite heavy of foot as well, to put it lightly. So if there's ever a guy that needs a bit of game time, just to kind of get that that sharpness, it's definitely definitely Alberts. But then there's Francois Lowe. Now, if we're going to be playing against a fetcher-heavy Aussie team or a Richard McCall-led all-black team, we need Francois Lowe. I mean, there's no 100 percent in the picture here. And there's a guy who's coming back from a rotator cuff in, uh, injury. Again, it's the, the loose trio is so pivotal to South Africa's success and always has been that the fact that this is my biggest worry. And, I mean, I, I think Skulk should have been given the captaincy a long time ago and plying away with him. But the fact is he's kind of almost seen as a secondary player. Derek, I, 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 we've got to move on to the second row because I, I think if we dwell too much on this, not so good. <laughs> Now, uh, but just quickly, just touching on that, that loose trio, sorry, one more thing. You mentioned Franco Lowe. Yeah. The other concern that I have is the fact that he's the only open side flanker that we have in the side. Sure. Uh, I mean, the, the rest are all blindsiders. So, I mean, that is going to be pivotal. I mean, we, we saw, okay, Heinrich Brousseau, he was brought back into the side. He, he was okay. Um, I don't think he did enough to, to warrant selection into the box. Well, well no, he, he wasn't the, the 2009-2008 kind of Brousseau that we came exactly, to love and enjoy. Exactly. But, but we saw how big a role he played when he did play. And and I think that we're Francois Lowe to get injured, heaven forbid, we're going to be desperately in need of another open sider because the rest of the guys are all blind. I mean, you can spin it as much as you want, but uh, there are no Francois Lowe's. 
other than Fonsola in the team. No, it'd be very, very hard to ask Sir Khaleesi to suddenly come and take on Pocock exactly. and, uh, those guys. <laughs> exactly. So just get it, get into that second row. Ibn Etzbeth, very slight injury concern, but you got to think, I mean, we don't really need him for the first few games. If you look at South Africa's matches going through it, we can almost play this team into form before we even get into the quarterfinals, which take place on the 17th of October. It's not a big issue there. The issue is, is how victory is used. Now, when you saw when he came back from retirement and went into the Bulls, there wasn't a great string of like consecutive matches there. He'd play maybe two, three, get rested, or he'd have a slight injury tweak. How do you reckon they're going to best utilize him for this? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we're very lucky in, in that our group is fairly weak. Um, Samoa are obviously going to be the most physical side that we take on. Scotland, uh, we reckon that they're going to be the toughest opponents. I don't know. Samoa, they always perform come World Cup time. I would really, if I was Heineken, I would be playing my veterans as much as I possibly could during these games, um, irrespective of whether we're playing so-called dirt trackers. I mean, I know, I know you've got guys on the side who you want to give game time to, the likes of Rudy Pages, etc. But you know, this really is a time for playing the veterans who have had very little rugby nonstop. Um, so you, you say Victor Matfield. I mean, give him as much of the ball as possible. Um Peter Seftatoy as well. I mean, Eben Etzebeth, I'm not concerned about because, as you mentioned, give him a break. He's played nonstop as well. Mm. Um, but Peter Seftatoy, I mean, another one we didn't mention, but coming off the back of two years out of the game almost. I mean, also, it's bizarre if you look at the stretches that these guys have been on the sidelines for. Well, especially when you're expecting 80 minutes from them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and luckily, and I, and I say this with all due respect, I mean, Japan can talk, talk it out as much as they want to, but... You know, they're going to be cannon fodder for us. Sure. Um, and, and, and I can't imagine you eating my words, but that is going to be the case. And look, I don't want a 100-0 match. I want Japan to be up for the fight because, I mean, they, they must test us. And uh, I, 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 I couldn't really care less if we win 50-0 or 10-0. I do want all our guys to come through with flying colors. Uh, so that there mustn't be injuries at the end of the game. And they must have earned their stripes on the field as well. And uh, uh, one thing I've read, which I'm quite looking forward to, is that the one Japanese lock, I think he's playing in the third World Cup, uh, he said that they're going to take it physically to the box. And again, it it could be all talk, but that'll be nice. So I'd like to see Victor and Peter Sev tested up front. Uh, It would be nice to see. But yeah, play those guys as much as you can before we get to the business end of the tournament. Okay, so we've we've touched on the forwards, and I'm still trying to find your Rudolf Strolley, we've got what it takes uh, opening statements. Into the backs we go, and again, <laughs> get game time for Rita Priya. Is it to the point where we don't have to really see much out of him, or is it to the point where he is at his career now again? Sharpness is a key thing. When he was playing that 2011 Rugby World Cup, he wasn't the sharp guy that we came to expect as the best scrum off in the world, as said by everyone. We're now four years later, and he also had some injuries, and he hasn't had many bock caps. Any concerns there for you? No, there's plenty of concerns, and uh, it's strange. I mean, as we start talking about each player, you almost have the same thing that you're saying about each and every one, in that they haven't played in a while, they've been injured, and for Rita Prea, it's exactly the same. And not only that, he hasn't played, and when he has, he's been playing over in Japan, so we haven't had the chance to see what what he's capable of. Um, And also, again, Japan, rugby, I mean, as much as they've been getting bigger and better players from overseas, uh, you can't expect it to be at, at, at the same level as super rugby. Um, so it's an unknown quantity. I mean, it really is a concern. I, and they, I haven't seen him on the training pitch. I haven't seen him at all since last year, since he pulled in a box jersey. So, I mean, whatever comes out, this, this, 
this next couple of weeks. I mean, it will be a surprise for most of us who's not involved in the camp. So I can only really comment after the first game. But, mm. I mean, I would be absolutely petrified if I was Heineken there. That my first choice scrum off has been out of the game for ages. And, and when he has been playing, he's, he's been over in Japan. Right, sure. I'm trying to try to keep this upbeat um, <laughs> because <laughs> after your scrum off comes your fly half. Do we even know who yeah. our first choice is here? Because there have to, yeah. there, there had to be a huge temptation to take Elton Junchies because he had the super rugby career uh, campaign of his life. Sorry, if there was ever a time to pick him as a fly off, as someone who could create the pivot for the for the, the box, it was this year. But Mornay Stain was brought back essentially at the expense of him. Is Mornay going to be thrust in there? Are we going tried and tested? I think Mornay will play a much bigger role than we expect him to. I, I, I do think that Hennick is probably going to go for a horses for horses situation where if certain things don't work out, he'll go first tried and tested. And, and I, personally, I would still start with Andre Pollard. I think that he is a brilliant player. Um, he, he's, he's been fairly off form, um, but we've seen what he can do. And we saw it last year against the All Blacks at Ellis Park. Um, and, and we've also seen him in the lower levels with the SA Junior signs, uh, yeah. what a good player he can be. So there's plenty of potential there, but you know, potential doesn't win you matches. It's what happens on the day. So no, I've been saying um, that, I've been saying that about him for the last year, and you see the flack I get on Twitter to, yeah, no, like, like, to, to the point that man crushes have been thrown in. <laughs> that, that's fine. I, I think he's a great, great player. And I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen a player of this quality in a box side, and and. I, I just wish that Heineke would, because at, at one stage, it was always a case of, would it be Andre, would it be Pat, would it be Andre, would it be Pat? And like we saw what New Zealand did with Dan Carter way back when, um, Graham Henry, who was the coach at the time, he singled out Dan Carter as his man, and he said, we are going to go with this guy. And, you know, there are a few shaky starts because he played at center for a little while as mm-hmm. well. And he just stuck with him, and, and we all know what happened in the end. I mean, granted, the guy was brilliant anyway. So, I mean, Same with Johnny Wilkinson, too. Yes, exactly. So, and a fly is such a key, key position, and it's such a confidence builder as well. And I think, you know, if you were given to say to someone, look, you will be my number 10, and this is going to be the case for the long run, just go out there and play a normal game. It's nothing terrible going out every single match thinking, well, I've got someone like Pat Lambie, who's a great player in his own right, looking at my shoulder, jeez, if I miss this kick, you know what, I get dropped for the next game. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the situation that they find themselves in. And, and I do think that Heineke wouldn't drop Andre for Pat. I do think he'd go to Mornay Stan because Andre um, and Pat are very similar players. Mornay is completely different. You know, more of a kicking fly. And, and again, when it comes to the pressure, pressure situations, if Heineke feels that uh, things aren't going his way, he's, he's going to go with what he knows. Oh, to be on Twitter when Monet Stein and Zane Koshner get picked in that first team. Wow, that's going to be quite something. But look, just to finish off on your point on Andre Pollard, I think um, without making excuses for him, because you know people have been kind of tired of this whole he's got potential argument, but I also think if he gets crisper service and he gets a better forward sort of performance, now our forward pack in that rugby championship, they were up and down. And I think without being like harsh, Ron Pino's service isn't exactly much to write home about. Here's a guy that if he had to go to the World Cup, you get Chris service, very defined game plan. I think he could really, really shine. And um, I think that would be the one positive for me. Final point, though, Jake, before we let you go, is how is Jean de Villiers going to get accommodated? Um, a friend of mine went to this one of those uh, corporate breakfasts where they get mm. you know Bok coaches and ex-players to kind of share some insights. And he phoned me with so much delight to say, you know, we can't have Jean because he defends wide and he's making up for lack of pace, blah, 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 blah. There's some very obvious technical frailties to a guy that essentially has a bionic knee now. 
Um, mm. Inside, outside, where essentially would you put him? Because you want to obviously stay with Dallander, who's made a great impact this year. Mm. Well, Dallander's gone on record saying he doesn't like playing inside. Um, defensively, he, he doesn't feel he's up to the task. Uh, he says he, he far prefers it at outside. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and I, I would... He's, um, I, look, Jean de Villiers is there. He's our captain. Uh, that He's going to play. Um, but you need to find out if he can play. So... Again, like we mentioned with the other guys, I would start with Dalinda and Jean de Villiers as our starting midfield combination uh, right up front and, and see how Jean goes about it. Look, there's no mistaking that, that Dalinda and Jesse Creel were amazing together, absolutely brilliant. Sure. Um, and, and, and in a perfect world, we could accommodate all three of them. Jean for his leadership capabilities and the other two for, for their, their, their play on the field. And that sounds harsh because then you're saying, well, Jean isn't a great player. And we know that he is. But he is coming off the back of a year-long injury. So, you know, funny enough, another question I posed to Rudolph a little earlier. I said, you know, how important is it having someone on the field that has the leadership capabilities of Jean? And John, uh, and, and Rudolph said, you know, you, you can't buy that. Um, players like him are once-in-generation type players, never mind the fact that they're great players. But from a leadership perspective, you really, really need that. And, and we saw it. I mean, this year, I mean, there are some dubious decisions made by the box without Jean being there, and which in the end cost us. So, yeah, I mean, Jean, they're going to go with him. You know, we know that, that that's going to happen. So play him up front, and then after two matches, we'll take it from there and see how he's doing. If he's completely out of sorts, then you can only drop him. <laughs> that's, that's what you've got to do. Exactly. Well, it's a very interesting kind of dynamic, this. You know, the All Blacks, as we spoke to Johnny King about, they're arriving knowing what they've got to do. They're prepared. They've got a great team. They've got great depth, and they're going to go right off the bat. I think there are so many questions that still need answers when it comes to the Springboks. And thankfully for them, they don't have to answer those questions in Pool A against uh, some strong teams. They've got a pretty nice run through to the quarters. Derek, thanks so much. Where can we find you uh, throughout the World Cup for more insightful commentary? Oh, yeah, you can uh, find me anyway. So I'll actually be commentating during it, but uh, not on the World Cup itself. But uh, plenty of Curry Cup games and Super Sports as, uh, as well as on, on radio at uh, Primary EWN. Okay. So you can also catch me on Twitter at Derek Albert One. But uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be watching it uh, glued to my seat like every other South African. Yeah, Derek Alberts, and it's just the number, not the word. Derek, thank you so <laughs> much. Um, yeah, well, look, obviously we're behind the spring box, no doubting that. It's just about managing these expectations. We'd all want them just to be flying to that final. Uh, but wow, it's going to be some interesting couple of weeks coming up now for them. Thanks, Derek. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Benjamin. Cool. Ciao, man. Yeah. Okay, we've got uh, Gabani Baba is our third guest. Uh, oh, Gabani Baba is our third guest who we're going to bring in. But first, we're going to quickly go to a commercial break and catch you back for the final 10 minutes of Rugby Central's special World Cup edition. At Sibania Gold, we believe leaders are made, not born. We also believe we can create a sustainable legacy by helping to develop tomorrow's leaders today which is why we have partnered with the Leadership Platform to nurture leaders who are committed to growing our country's economy. We are proud to say it's an initiative that's already showing glittering results. Sibanya Gold. We are one. And England staying composed here. Wilson still in place for the drop goal. Australia come back. Here it is for Johnny. Has he done it? He saw has heartbreaker for the Wallabies. Second. 
Yeah, that, of course, was in England won the World Cup in 2003. That was the last time the Northern Hemisphere fared so well. They've always been there, thereabouts, but when it comes to the big occasions, they just don't seem to have it. Uh, the English itself, when you look at their history, they have made the final. Um, of course, they somehow made the final in 2007, but obviously not getting that one there because they thought they could score a try from outside the lines. So we're going to use that little intro to bring us into the final section of the Rugby Central show. Gabonny Bob, unfortunately, is on a flight. Um, it's probably delayed, although Duncan, not to worry. If you can't get him, uh, he said it'll be cutting a bit fine. We're just going to run you through the Northern Hemisphere uh, options for this World Cup. As I said at the, at the start of the show, there are essentially six teams that can realistically win the Rugby World Cup this year. And I wasn't just saying that to try and make an intro. It is going to be so exciting. And I think from what Derek said, you know, we've got a lot to look into for the Springboks. And what Johnny said about the All Blacks being the polished unit that we all expect. There are, of course, four other teams that we need to look at. And we're going to start with Ireland, currently ranked sixth in the world. But they were as high as third the other day, that World Cup ranking. It's it's more confusing than that golf world ranking, to be honest. It goes up and down. I think the box didn't play for a couple of weeks and suddenly they went up two spots. But anyway, looking at Ireland... Quarterfinals, it's as far as they've got. 87, 91, 95, 2003, and 2011. They made it to the knockouts, only to be knocked out. But this particular Irish team, well, well, they are the current Six Nations champion. Led by Locke Paul O'Connell, who was a player of the Six Nations back uh, in 2015. The guy's got 104 caps, and he leads a pretty spirited side. And, well, they've got Johnny Sexton. Now, the reason I bring him into the spotlight is that many are saying that he is currently the best flyer in the world. Now, this is kind of like one of those best striker in the world debates that you see in football with the whole Messi-Ronaldo thing. Now, if you were to look at World Rugby right now, Dan Carter is very much on the twilight of his career. He's going to bow out after this one. Johnny Sexton, he's been doing so well. And, of course, these are his conditions. So there is a great pivot for an Irish team that we strap onto a really good forward pack. And they've got some really good experience backs, many of whom were instrumental in the British and Irish Lions winning down in Australia not so long ago. This is a formidable outfit, a formidable outfit who are starting in Group D. Now, in our hypothetical startup, we say that they're going to get to the quarterfinals and most likely play Argentina. Now, if you look at just world ranking alone, and the fact, again, current Six Nations champions, the, the Irish are looking good for a semi-final here, a semi-final they could very much have against Australia. Again, if you look at Northern Hemisphere results and how they've fared against the Southern Hemisphere teams in the last couple of years on those November tours, Ireland looked very, very strong for a final here. There's no way around it. These guys, this is their time. They know exactly what it's going to take to win. They've beaten some very big sides. Recent loss against England could make you second-guess them slightly, but I think they are a really good bet, the Irish. On to England. They're in Pool A. Of course, that very tricky pool we started the show with. They are going to have to face Ireland. Sorry, I mean Wales and England. Oh, sorry, Wales and Australia, they're in Pool A starting up. They've also got a tricky one against Fiji, and of course they've got a run out against Uruguay. England, they were the 2003 champions, as I already mentioned. Chris Robshaw is their captain, but what are they going to redo at Flyhoff? I think that's my only concern with, with the English. They've been very solid. They had a chance of winning the Six Nations last year. Unfortunately, they let France score 35 points against them, so their 55 was kind of rubbed out. So, is this the year that they can come back again? Well, their tough pool, I think, holds them in good stead and that they'll know exactly what they've got. They'll have all their sort of depth tested right away. And if they go through and if they win that one, I don't think they're going to win against Australia though. So my prediction was that they're going to finish second in Group A, which then gets them South Africa in the quarters. 
Tough one, tough one, tough one. But if you were to really, really be objective, I don't see South Africa and England being a one-sided affair either way. I think it's going to be very, very tight, and it could just be down to a drop goal. So again, I'm going to say that England are going to go as far as the quarterfinals, but could very well go through, and they'll have a very likely semifinal against New Zealand. Again, I just don't think this is England's time. Moving on to Wales, as we are running out of minutes here. It's been a very, very rapid episode of this of Rugby Central. If you have only joined us now live, don't worry. The podcast will be available on cliffcentral.com. But just to get into Wales. Now, Wales, of course, have had the injury worries. They've had three of their frontline, backline players gone. Most notably, Lee Halfpenny. Now, Lee Halfpenny is, well pretty much their one chance of really winning this no no team is one man but lee halfpenny is a dynamic fullback he is with ball in hand electric and he is just such a calculated and precise goal kicker take him away and what have you got well you've got a guy called matthew morgan he's got three caps and he's 23 years old you know who matthew morgan is but he's most likely to take a number 15 jersey it's just it's just a huge um huge setback for wales who've done so well um, with Warren Gatlin in producing some really good results in the last year, which have involved beating the Springboks. That was a very, very big deal for them. They've come so close, but they did at the end of last year, and they looked pretty handy throughout the Six Nations. Yes, Ireland did win it, but Wales did take them quite close. And uh, recently, they did beat the Irish. And, uh, well, again, they're a decent group as well. If you were to look at it, how they were going to go through hypothetically. Oh, no, wait. I completely take like, all my words. They're in Group A. I was getting them confused with France. So Group A, Wales, with the injuries, I don't see them going through there despite their fifth ranking in the world. So perhaps not enough depth to maintain their progress. That is the key take out there on the Welsh. And finally, we're going to finish with the French. Should we be talking about the French? They haven't really done a hell of a lot to kind of give us confidence or certainly give their fans confidence. Many say that that's by bringing in so much talent into a foreign talent into the French local leagues they're not really producing the players they need to become a real real force in world rugby now you've seen it you've seen how they drop away in the big matches in the six nations they haven't really threatened they had moments where they look like a French team of old but there's no continuity here I don't know if it's like a cultural thing with the French that they can't decide but they're very much like a cat playing with a ball of a ball of yarn the intent is there but it's a bit dribbly here and there. There's no real killer instinct. The guys don't know exactly who's going to start playing Flauf. They've got Morgan Parra, who goes between the two. Yes, they made the finals in 2011, and they almost did beat the All Blacks at Eden Park. But this time round, well, they're at lowly seventh in the world at the moment. Flanker Terry Dussetois, loads of experience, loads of heart, loads of passion. If there is a man that can lead a team well, it's definitely, definitely him. But I just can't see them having any chance whatsoever. So I'll draw out the French... And keep your Northern Hemisphere hopes with Ireland. Very quickly, to wrap up the show, we're going to get into the first couple of fixtures here. Friday, England versus Fiji. Four days' time now, of course, the start of the World Cup. Pool A kicks off, 9 o'clock. England versus Fiji. Saturday, we've got Tonga versus Georgia. They're kicking off Pool C. That'll be at 1 o'clock. All these times, of course, are South African time. Ireland versus Canada next up. That's at 3.30 on Saturday. Then South Africa's opening match will be against Japan, who, as Derek said, are looking to bring a physicality to the match, of which we all snigger. SA versus Japan, 5.45, Pool B, and then France versus Italy. Now, the interesting thing about that one is that, well, 
you expect Ireland to go through in Group D and then France and Italy to fight it out for that second spot. They had that fight right now, this Saturday at 9 o'clock. That's Pool D, of course. Sunday, we've got Samoa versus USA. That's at 3 o'clock from Pool B. Wales versus Uruguay on Sunday at 3.30 in Pool A. And then the final match of the weekend to get us underway in the World Cup will be New Zealand versus Argentina, otherwise known as the decider of who tops Pool C. The rest of the group isn't particularly strong. Particularly strong. So New Zealand... Their toughest match in the pools is the one straight away. That is it. Catch me at Follow the Bounce on Twitter and go on to thebounce.co.za right now as I have a whole bunch of Rugby World Cup build-up content. Everything from the history of the tournament to the power of the drop goal to a really, really big quiz. Uh, yeah, so much to get through. Thank you so much for joining me. This is cliffcentral.com.